0: This morning I want us to turn in the word of God to the book of 2nd Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians chapter 12. And here we have the Apostle Paul speaking from his heart about his enduring the fiery trials and the various sufferings and sorrows and things that the Lord allowed him to go through and offers words concerning himself that they might be a help and a testimony to those to whom he speaks. And I would suggest that that means us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise And heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory. But in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. Or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations. There there was given to me. A thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan. To buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. That it might depart from me. And he said unto me. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We're going to end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. I'm actually taking two verses as our text this morning because they actually say the same thing. Verse 5 says, uh, at the end of that, I will not glory but in my infirmities. Then in verse 9, he says, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want us to think briefly on what I'm entitling glorying in sufferings. But before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you would bless the word of God, allow it to be used by the Spirit to speak directly to our hearts, pointing us to Christ, pulling us away from ourselves, allowing us to hear what you would have us to hear, and Lord, may it do its work within. Lord, it is your word. Lord, there is the power of God in your word. And so we pray that you will allow it to be that which is used to help us this very day. Lord, bless us, lead us, we pray. Help me as I, servant, allow the Spirit of God to be the director and helper of my thoughts. For these things, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. To bring our reading into a perspective. We need to understand the real point of Paul's words. He is not in these words of 2 Corinthians 12. Defending himself. Or setting forward a commending of himself. For how well he endured. The various hardnesses. That his, he had known in the service of Christ. He further is not really even trying to use himself as an example of the right attitude to have about the walk of affliction that he has known. Rather, he is, in this point of his message to the Corinthians, trying to explain what reality is when it comes to the suffering that every true child of God is called to. And I say, and I stress, his words here are not general truths, Or principles to live by. He is not setting forth a lofty goal. That if a man believes he has reached. He can feel really good about himself. In fact it is the exact opposite. He is trying for all to realize. That suffering. Affliction. And testing. Are the very blessings of God that bring us to see the glory of God in a way that is otherwise impossible to see. If a man is comfortable and breezing through life with little concern, he is above all creatures most miserable. Though he believes that this is the end that he is to work for, and while he is in it, he has blessing, that is falsehood. It is a sham. It is a deception. Paul presents the plain and simple truth that the grace of God, I will call it sufficient grace, grace that proves to be the undergirding that does not let faith fall will come only when we see how desperately we need the Lord. I say that again. Sufficient grace comes to the heart. That finally and ultimately sees. How desperately he needs the Lord. It is his grace at work. That brings real life and joy. All other joy. But that is not. Of the sufficient grace of God. Is unable to uphold the heart. It is the joy. Of Christ that comes. Through the means that Paul speaks of here that he commends. My proposition to you this morning is simply this. The plan of God is that his people would know adversity. Let me say that again. The plan of God is for his people that they would know adversity and that the suffering would bring them to know his sustaining and satisfying grace. In fact, to know him in a way that no other means can bring. So Paul says to the Corinthians something that is somewhat amazing. Doesn't seem to make sense to anybody. But the man who really understands what it does. He makes the statement. I will therefore glory in my infirmities. I will glory in my infirmities. And My question would be well why do you say that? Why would you glory glory in the infirmities? Why is this true? I want to think with you just on five things this morning. The first of which is this. Concerning what I just suggested. This glorying. This glorying that Paul speaks of. Glorying in the infirmities. Glorying in the testing. Glorying in the fiery trials which are to try. They show a heart for the glory of God. This glorying shows a heart for the glory of God. Now let me... Explain what I'm saying by saying the following. Every man by nature. Desires for things to go easy on the flesh. Every man detests suffering. In fact men will go so far as to label suffering. As a proof of the displeasure and anger of God. That it is that which is to be repudiated. If, there's, if you are suffering there is something wrong with you. Such was the counsel of Job's friends overall. Paul, in honesty, confesses that he asked the Lord to remove three times the affliction that was his thorn in the flesh. That's an interesting picture. Don't just think about that for a second. Thorn in the flesh. A thorn to the flesh. I think he means by that it was a constant irritant to the flesh. Constant irritant to the flesh. I don't know if you've ever had a thorn in your, in your hand or in your finger. But every time you seem to bump it, every time you seem to push on it, every time it seems to uh, rub up against something, there's a new jab, there's a new pain, there's a new understanding. Oh, that's in there. Boy, that hurts. And the soreness does not go away while that thorn is there. And the wounded place tends to fester with that which is unsightly. A thorn in the flesh. Well, think about Romans chapter 8 with me for a moment. If you're familiar with that chapter, you'll remember that it deals a good bit with the warring of the spirit with the flesh. There's a warfare. And in the war of the spirit and the flesh, isn't it interesting that one of the weapons used against the flesh is the thorn of suffering? The Spirit of God actually uses suffering as a thorn against your flesh. In that warfare where you are being made more like Christ. But with Paul, as he looks at this whole subject, he says the thorn allowed him the occasion to cast himself on the Lord. And to know the grace of God that lifts when there is no power to lift himself I don't have any power in myself I don't have any ability to go on but I find that the grace of God does a work in me it causes me to be able to rise up and to go forward and to do the things that the Lord would have me to do it is the Lord in me though he has put this thorn in my flesh to cause me to seek out after him Paul was able to serve even though his flesh screamed that it could not bear to serve But the point that Paul is saying is this, this thorn, this suffering, this affliction, this trial that was so unpleasant to the flesh brought to him a sight of the Lord's love and faithfulness with a clarity that he could not have had in any other way. That caused a rejoicing in him. I'm able to see the Lord. I'm able to know the Lord. And this produced a heart that loves the glory of God. God in his glory. God in his mercy has done this. And I love it. And I say there's the heart of the true saint. There's the heart of the servant. The increase of the master and the decrease of the servant. You say that is the statement of John the Baptist. Yes, that is the statement of one that loved the glory of God. It is also the statement of one that saw the flesh put under by living in the desert as no other one ever did live. John the Baptist saw his flesh put under at every hand. And so John could utter a statement. He must increase, yet I must decrease. There was a love for the glory of God. Do you understand That one of the purposes, one of the blessings, the riches that is in Christ Jesus is that the sufferings that brings you to cast yourself upon the Lord and then in that time know the Lord allows you to rejoice and to treasure and to glory in the Lord himself being glorified. So Paul says, I will not glory in other things. What I will glory in is that the Lord has done this to me. That I might see his glory and his sufficiency. And that I love. That is strength to me. That is sufficient grace to me. The second thing I will point out is this this glorying, as Paul speaks of, this glorying puts the flesh in its proper place. Well, it would be proper to ask at this point, what is the proper place of the flesh? Does not all the world respond to that question with an, with the acclamation that the flesh is to be pampered and exalted? <laughs> What's the proper place of the flesh? Well, let's just make all kinds of provisions for it. Let's pet it. Let's allow it to grow in our mind and importance. Whatever is for comfort or fun, whatever is satisfies the appetites or lifts the ego, that is to be sought and provided for. That is to be served. I will suggest to you very plainly that that mindset is the mind that is the way of death. That is the broad way that leads to destruction. Destruction. But many there are that have convinced themselves that this is the path to happiness. If I allow what pleases my flesh, what pleases my life in this world, what pleases that, that's how I'll be happy. It's the broad way to destruction. And Paul is preaching diametrically the opposite to that. But rather he's saying the place of the flesh is for something else. So what is the place of the flesh? Well, I will answer that with a verse of scripture. And you know the scripture because we have it as one of our memory verses. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, how does that tell me what the place of the flesh is? Let me think, have you think with me. What does this say? We are to be cleansed. Where does the dirt and filth from a cleansing go? Well, you say, down the drain. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. It is put away not to be brought back. That is the thought. Let us cleanse ourselves. Let us put it this way. Let's not deal with this anymore. Let's not have anything to do with it. And I think what Paul is letting us know here is that sufferings, God-given sufferings, help a man loosens, loosen his grip on the flesh and makes it much easier to see the flesh, as it were, go down the drain. And I say to you, that is a rich Blessing. When God brings you to the place where you say, I don't care about these things anymore. I don't care about the things of the flesh. They're all false. They're all hollow. They're all just a facade. It's a sham. The things that seek to build up the flesh, it is not anything that is satisfying. I will have nothing to do with it because I'd rather have Jesus. And when you go through those sufferings and you find the Lord to be sufficient and close and dear And helping, it makes those things much easier to see go down the drain. Don't care about them, don't need them. Third thing I will point out is this this glorying allows a testimony that directly applies to many. This glorying allows a testimony that directly applies to many. Paul's testimony about suffering was not something that he found to be true for himself alone. The matter of suffering and the effect that it has on the hearts of all saints is the same. What Paul is talking about here is a universal truth. It is that which happens for all that are in Christ Jesus. It is the grace of God that keeps the heart and mind. And brings to the fore surrender to the will of God. And a stepping forward in faith. That God will prove himself faithful to meet all needs. This is something that is not needed in the heart of an apostle only. This is what we all need. It is the need of every child of God. You know, when the Lord said to Peter in Luke 22 that Peter would deny him. He was telling him of a time of intense suffering of flesh and heart. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he might sift thee as wheat. There's the picture. He's going to sift you as wheat. Intense suffering. But when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The great heartache that Peter knew because of his denial of the Lord was something that I believe Peter n- the sorrow, the heartbreak was to remain with him the rest of his life. But the Lord told him that it was this very thing that once experienced and put under the blood would enable him to strengthen others who suffered. You say, did it work? Well, I will have you look with me at First Peter chapter 4 where Peter, in commenting on the very subject at hand, says in verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, ah, the brethren, the people that the Lord said he was to minister to. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Yes. Suffering. It's not strange. It's common. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. There it is. The purpose of suffering, the glory of God, and the joy of the saint. That is to be kept in mind. All suffering is to be seen in that light. Now I come to what I might call the pinnacle of what I'm trying to say today. In the times where the thorn is doing its worst. In the time when the suffering is at its worst. It is at its most fiery point. It is at that time that the Lord Jesus tells us that he will come to us. And he will minister to us. And I think you're finding Paul saying, and I think you're finding Peter saying too. That time with the Lord, the time when I am at my lowest possible point, the time when the Lord comes, and he ministers, and he speaks, and I hear his voice, and I feel as it were the hand of the Lord on my shoulder, and he tells me, that he will not forsake me. He will not leave me. That I can cast my burden upon him. And he will care for me. These times when Christ actually comes to us. Is glory. And the Lord. Means. For the people of God to be thrilled. but To be thrilled with himself. Not with thrilled with the things that are apart from himself. In fact, I even asked, I was thinking about that this morning. I said, how can a man say, or a a hymn writer say, all that thrills my soul is Jesus? And I was thinking, I said, you know, that's not the statement of a heart that is finding the easy road. In fact, I, I would say this, that A man who finds it easy going in life, a man who doesn't find any trials, even a child of God who does not have to have his faith tried, is that man who will probably not understand that statement. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. It may even seem false to him. You know, it's not, Jesus isn't really all that thrills my soul. The man who can say that all that thrills my soul is Jesus is the man who has gone through the waters of affliction and suffering. And found the Lord Jesus a glorious help. When you go through those times and you find the Lord Jesus to be what he really is to those that trust in him, and that is the shepherd, the lifter up of the head, the friend, the counselor, the helper, the refuge. You find Jesus to be all these things when you find him to be in truth that as you are at your lowest point, then you can stand back after that and say all that thrills my soul is Jesus because nothing else can and nothing else has ever done that. Well, number four. This glorying, as Paul speaks of, this glorying in infirmities shows a kindred walk to that of Christ. It shows a kindred walk to that of Christ. Peter makes mention in the verses that we just noted that the sufferings borne by the people who are of God are in likeness to those of Christ himself. We are partakers of his sufferings, meaning what we go through, he has gone through. The sufferings that we see, he has seen. When Isaiah says of the Lord Jesus that he is the man of sorrows and equated with grief. It is not saying that the Lord only knows sorrow and grief from that day that he was crucified. He looked upon us all that we were uh, poor and needy and full of sin. And he took our sins and sorrows on himself on that day. No, that's not what it means. It also does not mean that the Lord Jesus only walked through life and observed sorrow and suffering frequently. I will say that those words do mean that he fully understands the cause and ultimate end of suffering in fallen man. But the truth is that the Lord Jesus walked in suffering all his days. All his days. His living the perfect life. Was a life filled with battle. And defeating the powers of hell. The Lord Jesus fought against the enemy of our souls. Every day. He was well acquainted. And you know. That simply tells us. Is if a man is going to go on with Christ. He also will know the same battle. The same battles with the flesh. The same battles with the devil. The same battles against unbelief. Again so I would just say. Well, so what's the application to me? Just this. Since Christ suffered. We too will suffer. The battle with the flesh is not to be run from, but rather is a mark that you truly belong to Jesus. That is to be rejoiced in. That is joyful. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or divers trials. Let it be understood. Not all suffering is suffering like Christ. The wicked suffer for their wickedness. The fleshly man will suffer for he is still under the curse of Adam. That all flesh will die. But those that suffer for Christ's sake or in the plan of God. Are in the place where they are to know the Lord more richly. It is blessing. And then finally I have this point and we're done. This glorying. In infirmities, prepares for the day of great joy with Christ. This glorying prepares for the day of great joy with Christ. Coming back to what Paul or Peter said in First Peter chapter four, verse thirteen, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. We are being prepared for glory. We are being prepared for that place where all the sufferings cease and the Lamb of God will be seen with our own eyes. And glory, though, I think will shine brighter for the, for the days in which we have seen the Lord and known His grace here as the Lord Jesus has made more precious to us here my mind seems to think it might be even sweeter on the other side when we see Jesus. I don't know how that can be, really. I mean, theologically, when all of my sin is removed and my mind is completely renewed and all of the things that were besetting me and uh, affliction to me, when they're all removed, how could things be more sweeter? I don't know. But it just seems that if I walk with the Lord Jesus and find him to be sweet here, oh, how much sweeter it might be in that day. I take my thought from... You might be glad with exceeding joy. Your sufferings are preparing you for Jesus. It is given to you. A wedding gift, if you will. Not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. You say, that's sort of a strange idea. Oh, yeah, it is. A gift from the hand of the bridegroom to the bride. Here, I'll give you one of my choicest gifts. suffering. Why does that seem a gift because it'll bring you closer to me. It'll bind us closer together. As you suffer, you'll find me to be more and more and more and more. If you weren't suffering, you wouldn't know this. but because you are, you're going to know this. So, my bride, rejoice in this. I prepare you for that day. So what am I to do? I ask the question, are you suffering? What am I to do? I leave you with this verse, and with this we close. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Commit yourself to God. Give yourself to Christ afresh. Surrender to his will. Bow the knee to his plan. Go through with Christ. That's the testimony of Paul. I will now rather glory in my infirmities because of what they do and where they bring me. May the Lord help us to have minds and hearts that are able to go down the same track of thinking and find ourselves blessed along with Paul as we find ourselves in those times that we are going to be called to. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now I pray that you'll bless this word. pray that you'll let it be that which remains in us, causes us to understand it, You are not blessing us when you give us the easy road. You're not blessing us when you give us all the things that we want. But Lord, you bless us when you bring us to the place where we must come to you. Even in the place of a desperate situation in heart. For Lord, then we find you to be all that you are. Lord, seal the word now to our hearts. Allow us to know the Spirit of God continuing to speak to us today. Walk through thy day with us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.